You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. People didn't see, and I'm glad for His love and grace for me. And, you know, really that's kind of a good introduction to the message today. We've been preaching through the book of Nehemiah on Sunday mornings, and Today I want to preach a little bit about remembering where you came from, and that to me reflects that song very nicely, remembering where you came from. Because in Nehemiah chapter number 8, we're going to find out that there's a, there's a, a celebration that's taken place for the p- point of remembrance. God always wants us to remember things. He wants us to remember the things that He's done in our lives. Remember where you came from. And you know some of the, some of the greatest people that have ever made it, what we would think in life as far as success... And I, I don't always, we don't always measure success the same way the world does. Isn't that correct? Uh, the world measures success sometimes in, uh, in power and fame and fortune. And, uh, and those things can be a part of success. But really the success in the Christian life is uh, often much greater than those things. Though they may sometimes include those things. But the point is just simply this. Some of the greatest people that have achieved that type of power in our world are the people that remember where they came from and stay humble uh, but I remember just for myself, knowing where I came from, as they did here in the book of Nehemiah. I'll share scriptures in just a moment, but first I believe I want to read, the, read this passage, introduce this passage, then I'll read it, uh, remembering where you came from. Last week in the first part of uh, Nehemiah chapter number 8, Ezra stood up and proclaimed the word of God. These are people that hadn't heard the word of God in, in, in some time. And he literally got up and he began to read the first five books of the Bible, he and uh, 14 other men. And while they were up there together, they would pause from time to time and then they would come and they would explain it to make sure, do you understand what's being read? But there's an interesting thing that we talked about, how that it's interesting that that same model is what we still use today because what they did is they built a big wooden platform And just like us, they had a big wooden platform and then we put a big wooden box on top and then we put a book on top and then we tell people what the book says. But the only difference is is that book is the Word of God Almighty. And God's Word will change your heart and life because God is your Creator. He knows you and He loves you and He's given us a living book, His living Word that can penetrate into the hearts of men and women and change our lives and ultimately introduce us, number one, to the holiness and the greatness of God Almighty, our Creator, which also highlights something for us. It highlights our separation and sinfulness from Him. But He doesn't stop there. Then He lets us know the plan of redemption, how that Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross and rise again the third day so that we might know Him. Because what do you do with people you know? You normally communicate with them. You normally speak with them. You normally spend time with them. Folks, when we open up the Word of God, that's God speaking to us and speaking to you because He created you. He knows you. He loves you. And yes, He knows every thought you've ever thought. He knows the thoughts that you've thought just in the time that you've been here this morning. And I dare say they haven't all been great. Uh, But you want to know something? He loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. No matter what you've done, where you've gone. And so God's Word communicates these things to us. So so Ezra gets up and he, he, he preaches the Word. He explains the Word. People's lives are being changed and transformed. And that's what we looked at last week. We saw that how people, would they came expectantly to hear the word. They listened attentively. They responded properly. And they departed joyfully. 
One of the things that we got to understand too is they did this every day for an entire week for probably about five to six hours. And if you ever think my preaching's long, uh, five to six hours a day they would do this, okay? And, and as they read, they come across a passage in Leviticus 23. When, as Ezra was up there, they come across a passage in Leviticus 23 that began to tell about the feast that they were to memorize. And, and that's why it's remembering where you came from. God gave seven feasts to the nation of Israel, seven holidays, seven times of remembrance so that they could look back and remember what God did for them. And they come across one of those in particular in Leviticus 23. What seems to be, a, it's, it's a very joyful feast. It's the most joyful celebration in the Jewish calendar, in the Jewish year, perhaps, arguably. Uh, Passover would be right there as well. But it's, it's a little unusual holiday. Because what they literally had to do is God would say, okay, here's what we do. You read it right in Leviticus 23. So Ezra would have read this. These people would have heard this. And he said, go out and cut down branches out of trees and construct a little booth, a little, uh, a little, you know, little hut, and put leaves and stuff all over the hut. And, and decorate it up nice and bring some cushions in there. Bring a little table in there. Bring a table because you're going to be feasting in this tent every day. And you're going to be living in, in this, little, this little structure, this little tent, this little hut for the next seven days. And here's the, the funny thing about that is we're going to be living in this little hut and some of the huts were going to be built on top of people's houses. So for a good solid week, you've got per people who have perfectly good homes that are staying in a hut for a week. Now, why would they do this? It's a pretty unusual celebration. But it, it really is a big celebration, and we'll see what it was just about in a, in, a, in a moment. And I'll tell you what they would do. They would erect their booze. They would construct these booze, of, as I've just described. And i, I got to say something here. Before I say something else about remembrance, and then we'll see that it goes beyond just remembrance, but it reminds me, because remembrance doesn't just mean that you look back and remember something that happened. It means that you're still observing uh, and memorializing something that happened because it's still having an effect on your life today. But I think about a couple of things about remembering. I'll, I'll go ahead and share the pictures here, right? We'll just put a couple of these up. Uh, I was thinking about remembering where I came from, and I don't know which one pops up first. That's a good one to pop up first. Uh, because for those, those of you who have heard my testimony, uh, when I came to Christ, um, to the far... Right of that picture is my dad. Uh, he's my stepdad. He came into my life. You can, if you can look at that picture, you can tell he's mighty young because I was probably three or four years old when this picture was taken. And that's my dad. He came into my life as a teenager to be my dad. And, uh, and, and that, my cousin shared this the other day, and I thought, man, I've got I to get that picture. Uh, right next to him is my uncle and uh, Jerry, and I know the, uh, Tony, and I can't remember the guy on the very end there. But these were the guys that I've shared before as a kid. How was I raised? What kind of home was I brought up in? Uh, number one, uh, man, I'm thankful for so much of what my dad and my parents taught me. But one of my earliest memories is in that very house with those very men plus a few. And one of my earliest memories was a couple of things. Number one, it was fun. Because I remember those dudes uh, tossing me around the room. Not like to abuse me, but just fun. You know, woohoo, you know, and here and there. And, uh, but they were doing that because they were drunk, I think, is part of the reason. And I was just... Um, but another one of my memories in that same home... By the way, this is, you want to know just a fun fact? 
Uh, this was a house that we were renting. We never owned a house. But this is a house that we were renting for a short period of time. But Melanie, at one point in her family, lived in that same house. Your mom lived in that same house that's in this picture right here. Not that one. Um, yeah, you just assumed something there. Uh, but uh, no, that's fine. Another memory that I have back then, and, and again, I'm, I'm hesitant to share these things, and I don't do it trying to brag or lift up sin in any kind of way, but one of the things I remember also is these guys thought it was real funny, and they would let me, because there would be more than these guys, and they'd be sitting around, it'd be a pretty big party, and, uh, and so they would let me be the one to like pass the joint around the room as they were uh, smoking there. And so I remember that. Okay, and so that, that's kind of the way I was brought up. And so at, at an early age, I, I tell people sometimes, literally, I think the first time I ever tried marijuana was uh, I was either five or six years old. And some of you are just like, that explains a lot. Um, <laughs> explains a lot. Uh, but and it, it very well may. I kind of believe it may. But, uh, but seriously, so, so as a young person, I started going in that same life at a pretty early age. And I remember that. And I remember I wasn't raised in church. And I wasn't raised to hear about God. And I, I wasn't raised, but I remember that's where I was. And, and I, can, I can look at that picture, you know, and I'm looking at, uh, I, I don't know much about the, what happened with the two on the far end. But I know my dad, for instance, you know, just from that lifestyle, at the age of 58, passed away just from... Uh, mostly the drinking uh, and everything. And then uh, my uncle, the one standing him there in the flannel shirt, uh, committed suicide at like 42 years old, but he had drinking and drug problem like crazy. Their sister that's not pictured there died at, in, in her early 40s uh, from, from drug uh, abuse. And uh, the tall guy there in the middle, that's Jerry. Uh, Jerry there got saved. That's a wonderful thing. I got to witness to Jerry, and I got to see Jerry come to the Lord. What a wonderful thing that was. But Jerry uh, was just a tough... He was one of those guys that would just work enough to be able to buy alcohol. And he'd work the kind of... You know, we were work with brick and stuff like that, brick masons. And so he would work, 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 get money, go spend all of his money on alcohol. He lived with his mom his whole life. Uh, go spend his money on alcohol. Uh, then when he ran out, he would come back and work again. You know, it's kind of the, and so that's, that's my life. Um, and, and, and coincidentally, I just saw this week, the fellow that I've mentioned before, the fellow that we would buy our drugs from, I guess you could say our drug dealer, uh, he just died this week. I just saw that, uh, this week, but that's the way I was going to, so I remember those days. And then to the next house, this is just a picture I took when I was in North Carolina the last time sitting right in that house. That's a, that's what's called a mill house in a mill village. Uh, down in North Carolina. That's a part of town called Greasy Corner. It looks nicer than it looked back 20, 30 years ago. But it was right in that house where Jesus saved my soul. Ryan was talking about, do you remember being redeemed? Uh, well, the, the question is, what well, he's asking there, do you know, can you remember a, a place and a time where you came in your life where you saw your need for the Savior? Because you may be putting it together. I didn't get baptized in that house. No, because baptism is not redemption and it's not salvation a part of that church in that house because becoming a part of a church is not redemption and that's not salvation but putting your faith and trust in christ is salvation and it was right in that house uh, over on the your left hand side there that's just a living room there's a bedroom there and in the back there's a, a kitchen and a bathroom that's it for that house but right there jesus christ the lord of glory you know what i like reading about in the new testament sometimes tyson i just read the phrase and Jesus passed by. 
You know, somebody's blind, somebody's broken, somebody's crippled, somebody's going through a terrible time, somebody's family's in a mess, but then the Bible says, but then Jesus passed by, amen? And guess what? When he came by, things were different when he left and when he got there. And I want to tell you something. It's pretty awesome for me to think that Jesus passed by that house one day. He didn't come there physically, but he came there through the Holy Spirit of God and through the Word of God, and he saved my soul, amen, and changed my life. So I remember those days. And so uh, I just thought I would share that with you in the way of memory. God constantly told people in the Bible to remember what I've done for you. Now, getting back to the funny thing with the booths, and them making these little huts, these little tabernacles, all of that was for remembrance. What was they supposed to be remembering? Well, what they were supposed to remember during this feast is not only did they make these little huts, but then in the temple, the court of women, they had four giant candlesticks. I mean, huge candlesticks that would just light up the entire court of the tabernacle. And in addition to that, they would have a ceremony that they would have to do with water. That was actually kind of cool. Uh, every morning, they would be out there in those tabernacles. They'd be offering sacrifices because God was trying to teach a lesson about blood sacrifice and of how that there is a need for your sins to be atoned for and that the wages of sin is death. So they would actually have a sacrifice and several sacrifices every day. But those sacrifices led to great joy because every morning, a, a shofar, a ram's horn would be blown. So they would blow that horn in the morning. And when that, that, morning, uh, that, that horn blew in the morning, you started hearing the instruments. I, I like it when we have musicians up here, and I think about times when the Rochesters are here. You know that sound when people are kind of getting their guitars on and strapping on the banjo and getting that, uh, you know, getting that fiddle uh, rosined up a little bit and kind of that, you know. and get, it, 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 You would hear those sounds in the morning as well. Maybe not those exact sounds, but you'd begin to hear the instruments. Why? Because pretty soon, they were striking up the band. And the priest would walk out of the temple with a big container, a big gold container. And that would start a parade. And so they would, together, they would get together, the band would start playing, the people would start singing, people are dancing, rejoicing, as the priest goes down to a pool of water called the Pool of Shiloham, and he would dip that uh, thing in water and he would quote a verse of Scripture saying, with joy draw from the wells of salvation. And he would carry that pitcher of water and then the parade goes back up toward the temple again, singing and praising God. He walks into the temple. Once again, they actually remember that the, the book of Psalms is the Hebrew hymn book. They begin to sing Psalms. They would sing the Hallel, which is the, I believe it's Psalm 115 through Psalm 113. That's backwards. One in, I'll tell you that for sure in a minute. But they would sing these psalms and, and, the, and the priest would walk around the altar. Then he would pour that water out and the people would rejoice. Okay, now it's a fair question if you're sitting there right now saying, so what? It's a fair question. Uh, like, what does that have to do with me today? But what I want to try to tell you is it does have something to do with you today as we see these festivities. Because one of the things that God is trying to get these, to, get these people to remember is He's trying to remind them of something. He's trying to get them to remember something that happened in their lives. He's trying to get them to remember their redemption. Every year they, would, they were supposed to do this. They weren't able to do it when they were in captivity. So these people had maybe never done this before in their lives up to this point. 
But now they were. And when the people and the children, it was the idea that the children would ask, why are we doing this? And the people around them would say, why are we doing this? Or why are y'all doing this? And they would say, well, let me tell you, here's why. Because there was a time when we were, bond, we were in bondage. And we were slaves in Egypt. But God saw us. God heard our cries. And God came to where we was. God sent us a deliverer by the name of Moses. God had a plan of salvation. He had through the Passover lamb and the shedding of blood that He would save us and bring us across the Red Sea and out of Egypt. And He would bring us into the wilderness. And for the 40 years we were in the wilderness, we dwelt in little huts. And we dwelt in little tents. So we're making all these huts and tents to remember how that was. But we're not just remembering that we lived in these huts, because I'm telling you right now, I can imagine, I don't feel like I'm doing justice, because I feel like when I say they live in huts, you're thinking, poor people. Right? Oh my goodness, this is awful. But honestly, it was a, it was a time of celebration. They made it, it was literally a big party. Seven days worth. And it would start in the morning, they would feast, they would have this celebration, they would party, they would rest a little bit, they would stay up late at night with, the, with those candles blazing in the courtyard of the temple. The trumpet would blow in the morning, they'd start all over again. But they remembered what it was like when God was with us in those days in the wilderness. And, you know, why, why would they do that? One of the reasons why is because if we're not careful sometimes, here's why this matters to you. Because number one, if you're here and you do know Christ as your Savior, how many of you know sometimes when you get into the midst of life and troubles and trials, hey, how about failures? How many of you know that you can kind of forget about the goodness of God? You can get so focused on the here and now that you forget what God has done for you. But when you remember what God has done for you, it gives you confidence about what He's going to do for you. Because you start thinking to yourself, Wait, I look back, these people could look back and say, why did God bring us out of Egypt? Because He loved us and had a plan, but here's why, He promised to do it. He brought us into the wilderness and He promised to take care of us. And guess what He did? He took care of us for 40 years. We, we didn't have any other resources. We didn't have any other hope. The wilderness, folks, it was like a desert. But God provided food. God provided water. God provided shelter. God provided... He, he would come. Those candlesticks in the temple that they had, those represented the Shekinah glory of God that would not only show His presence, but also offer heat by, by night. And he, he would be a cloud over them. He would bring a cloud for shade during the day to shelter them from the heat. They're reminded about how, how much God loves me and that I'm still a part of God's plan. Sometimes you need to be reminded of that. Because we get overwhelmed sometimes with what we're facing. Some people, you know, I think about it. We've, we've got election coming up and people can look at our country and if you're a person that watches and follows the news a lot, you're probably depressed, number one. Um, but but you can, it, it can get to you. And life can get tough. But when you take time to say, you know what? We need to set aside a time to rejoice. We need to set aside a time to party. We need to set aside a time in the midst. Because here's the thing. And then the world says, can you imagine the people that lived around the Jews saying, what are y'all doing? What's all this singing about? 
Why are you so happy? God can just imagine somebody coming into this church this morning and, and people singing and praising the Lord and just being like, wow, man, God's good. It's just good to be alive, good to be here. And they're just, are these people idiots? Do they not know what's going on in the world? Do they not see the threats that are rising? Yes, we do. But we also remember something. We remember what God's done. And, and in remembering what God has done, we remember what God's going to do. And God's going to be faithful. He was faithful then. He's going to be faithful until the end. And so what, what this whole celebration was, was for them to remember the time when God was with them, when God was among them. And so remember where God brought you from. And what did it mean? It meant deliverance. It meant deliverance through the bloody, the, the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. How were you and I saved? It was through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. Remember, John the Baptist said this, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus shed His blood so that our sins could be forgiven. What a wonderful blessing that is. Remember, and I'm telling you, man, is that not a blessing? Do you remember when you were a slave in sin? The reason I showed you those pictures is because I remember that. I remember where I was. And some people say, well, preacher, it's good that you turned over a new leaf and started doing better and you, and you reformed. <laughs> no, I didn't. Not at all. Hallelujah. I, I didn't have the ability to do that. I mean, maybe I could have, but it wasn't that. You know what it was? It was a Savior. It, uh, listen, God sent a deliverer to the place of my bondage. And that deliverer's name is Jesus Christ. And He delivered me from my bondage. And He delivered me from my sin. And the reason I'm a man that stands here before you today is because just as they were recognizing and celebrating with the Feast of Tabernacles is that God became in me. He's been among me. He's been with me. And if you remember, the thing that Jesus was going to be called, call Him Emmanuel. Which being interpreted as what? God with us. God with us. So they're remembering what is it like. We, God is with us. He was with us then. He's still with us today. So remembering. We remember our, uh, where God's brought us from. We remember our deliverance. We remember our dependence. You know, Jesus said this. Jesus spoke about the, the fact that we have a tendency to worry. But here's what Jesus said to that. He said, consider, consider the birds, consider the sparrows. Consider those birds that don't go out and harvest and sow and reap. But your Father, which is in heaven, cares for them, takes care of them. And He says, are you not much greater than they? Are you not much greater than they, O ye of little faith? If God, who you know, is going to clothe the fields and, and, and you know, just bring all the wild flowers every year and cause all this beauty, if He's going to clothe the fields, will He not clothe you? And if He's going to feed the sparrows, is He not going to take care of you? So sometimes we need to get and remember God's and the dependence and the providence and the provision that God has in our lives. Has God taken care of you? We get in our times where we start worrying though, right? Oh man, I don't know how things are going to be. Man, I love, the, I love our, just the, all the babies we got in our church and all the, the little ones running around. And I, I hear people saying, if you're somebody that says this, that's your business. But what I hear people say, oh, I'd never want to bring a baby into this world. I'd never want to raise a child in this world. I don't ascribe to that at all. They bring more of them into this world. Raise more of them in this world. Why? So, I mean, listen, because God's got a plan for them, amen? And by the way, let God be the one to decide that. He, he can bring them into the world and He can use and work through them, amen? 
Thank you. She's just looking at me like, amen, that's right. Um, Because, listen, I mean, there is hope. We have a future. We have promise. Do you want to know something? Did you know that, probably going back to about the 1800s and before that, you want to know know what people were saying? Our great-great-grandparents, you know what they were being told? I wouldn't want to bring kids into this world. My goodness, World War I, the Great War and all that. I wouldn't want to bring kids. Civil War, I don't want to bring kids into this world. I don't want to bring kids in this world. I don't want to bring kids in. I mean, that's pe- people have literally been saying that for hundreds of years now. But you know what? God's still doing a work. Who's He doing a work through? People that are born into this world who have an opportunity for God to work. and have the... So listen, His deliverance, the dependence that we have upon God, the direction. They remembered the leading of God in the wilderness. The promise. Folks, God keeps His promises. What God said, He will do. So let's take a moment and read these verses. And then I'll share a few closing thoughts with you. The Bible says, And on the second day were gathered together the chief... This is Nehemiah 8. On the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees and make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in their courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto this day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was a very great gladness. And also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. So the word of God, going back to Nehemiah 8, Ezra got up and read it, he got up and explained it. Now, I want to just throw this in here. This is just kind of a, a little side note or a rabbit trail, if you will. But there's, I, I do kind of find it interesting here. They heard God's Word. God's Word was explained. And they obeyed God's Word. Now that doesn't sound very profound, and it makes sense, doesn't it? If God tells us to do something or not to do something, you would think we would just say, okay. But here's some interesting things about that. I want you to think about things. Number one... What if obeying God makes you look funny? You ever thought about that? What if doing what God says makes you look a little weird? You say, what are you talking about? Building booths? Building these little huts out of trees? You know what they could have said? Now, Lord, I know they did this back in Joshua's day. But, Lord, this is 445 B.C. I mean, ah... Kids aren't doing this stuff anymore, you know. This isn't the cool thing to do. God, God must have not known when He told us to go take these booze that people would think, well, that's odd. No, He did it for that very reason. 
So what do you do if doing what God says to do, people make, might make fun of you or laugh or think it's kind of weird? What do you do then? Uh, you know, I, I don't, this, this one just came to mind. What if, what if you decide as a young person or old person, if you haven't been married, that you say, you know what, I'm going to stay pure until marriage. That's what I'm going to do. Tell your, tell your classmates that. Tell your peers that. And see if they don't laugh at you. See if you don't get mocked. Uh, it happens. But you know what? We don't care. Stand up, Zach. Be the man. Not literally, but just figuratively. Stand up. Be the dad. Be the husband that God's calling you to be. Fulfill that role that God's given you. You know, the same thing for the ladies. Just right on down the line. Do what God says to do. There's going to be people in this world that say, well, that looks kind of weird. But did God say, did God give us instructions on how we ought to live? Then let's do that. Let's live that way. Now, not only, so what do you do when God tells you to do something that looks funny? This is getting to be a long rabbit trail. I need to come back and get on the right trail here in a second. But another thing I just want to add here real quickly is what if what God tells you to do messes up your plans? Understand this. Just bring yourself and imagine that you're in the congregation of these people. And here it is, the seventh month, which, by the way, I think is right about October. And he's reading. It's the second day of the month. And all of a sudden he says, hey, this says on the 15th day of this month, so in two weeks, we've got to have these booths ready, and we've got to have an entire week to where we have this big party and celebration all week. What if what God tells you to do messes up your plans? What about that? You know some of these people had plans. You know some of these people had some, you know, had some stuff in their calendar. And now all of a sudden God just expects them to change their plans? But here, understand something. When God's trying to get you to change your plans, it's because of something. You know what it is? It's because He's got better plans. And when God's trying to tell you something to do and something not to do, He knows because what He's telling you to do is the way of being blessed. Because He wants to bless you. And he knows the thing he's telling you not to do is because that lies in the path of cursing and death. But anyway, so these people did obey what the Lord said. But here's these people, they followed the Lord, they obeyed. And you know a sad thing there? One of the saddest things of this is, it said here in verse 17 that they had not celebrated, had this celebration since Joshua. My goodness. Ain't that sad? This was supposed to be a yearly thing. And the crazy thing is, this is supposed to be the biggest party of the year. A week-long celebration. Singing and playing instruments and dancing and and blowing trumpets and and eating and, and resting, by the way. And resting. But they didn't observe it in all these years. But God wanted them to. Now, I'm going to fast forward real quickly here. 500 years. Almost 500 years. John records something. He records Jesus Christ coming to the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, by the way, can I throw something else in there? If you were to go to New York City during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, you want to know what you'd see? Oh, yeah, Ryan, I forgot I had a couple of these as well. Don't forget about the video. Just go to the picture. It's probably not even going to be worth it. Not coming. Forget about it. Uh, that's, uh, but, the, but, but basically, they still make these booths today. They still make them today. If you go to New York City during the Feast of Tabernacles, you will see little huts built up and people in New York City living out in these huts. Something like this. Uh, kind of cool. And, and other places in the world as well. But that just kind of gives you an idea. 
there. That's actually like a really tiny model there. But anyway, it still gives you an idea of what it might look like. So almost 500 years later, Jesus Christ is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And He's there. He comes, it seems like, in the middle of the feast. And they go through the seven days of the feast. And Jesus is observing. Jesus is enjoying all the things, no doubt, around the Feast of Tabernacles that's taken place. But on the last day of the feast, so here's the thing, I didn't go into, I told you a little bit about them going and getting that water and bringing it up. They would do that every single day for seven days. But the eighth day was the great day of the feast. And what they would do, that day they did not bring the water. But I believe something started sitting in on Jesus' heart as He was seeing these people observe and celebrate this tradition of theirs. Because he stood up, and the Bible says in John chapter number 7, the Gospel of John chapter number 7, Jesus stood up and said this, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly, or out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. But this He spake of the, Spirit of, God, of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was saying, don't miss the main point. Don't get so caught up in religious ritual that you forget the, the real reason. See, They rejoiced in this water because it reminded them of when they were thirsty and they were parched in the wilderness and they were about to be, they were just, they were dehydrated and and close to death. That God had a a rock that brought forth, uh, a rock was smitten and brought forth water that that gave the whole uh, congregation, the the whole two and a half million people, how many ever it was, uh, that that gave them uh, uh, water that quenched their thirst. But Jesus is saying, all that points to me. And that ultimately, if you're ever going to have your thirst quenched, I'm going to be the one that quenches it. But one thing that was true about the Feast of Tabernacles, that was true about what, that that, that was teaching about Jesus was this. That, the, that, the, that that water was not brought in and celebrated and poured out until the sacrifice had been made. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day, folks, after that sacrifice, He says the water can be poured out. See, He wants those who are thirsty to come to Him. Oh, He says, let all those, let him that thirsts, let him come to Me. And I love what Jesus said there, let any man that thirsts. They sung that song earlier. He welcomes the beggar. I'm glad that God welcomes all. The Bible says, whosoever will, Jesus stood. And can you just imagine? Because the eighth day, the the holy day that they're talking about there, after the Feast of Tabernacles, it was supposed to kind of be, it was actually a Sabbath. So there was still rejoicing, but it was toned down a whole lot. But then Jesus stands in the midst of this huge crowd of people and cries out, If any man thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. And today, Jesus is still saying, all of this leads to me. And I want to say today, everything that we're doing today, you know what it's ultimately trying to lead to? Jesus Christ. 
and Jesus Christ standing before you today and saying, come to me? Do you thirst? Are you trying to quench that thirst with the things of this world that never work? I think oftentimes of people who, you know, that, that say, well, I've tried religion. That's, that's a tough bunch, isn't it? I often tell people that the people that we're trying to minister to the, to the most are either people that are religious people or people that have been so burned by religion they don't want anything to do with it. Right? That seems to be the people that we're trying to reach the most. You say, well, why are you trying to reach religious people? Because just like Jesus was, there was a lot of religious people going through all these ceremonies. They knew all the words to the songs they were singing. They, uh, they, they, they did everything just the right way. But they didn't even know Jesus. They didn't even know who Jesus was. That's how a lot of people are. They go through their religious rituals. They go, through, they, they go to church, so they give money, and they, whatever else takes place. Maybe they sing the songs. Maybe they recite the stuff back and forth. But ultimately, don't even know who Jesus is. Right? That's who Jesus was talking to that day. And that's who we're still talking to today. People, number one, we're talking to some people that are trusting in their religion. And we're trying to get through to people and say, don't trust in your religion. Somebody said religion's good enough to, to live by, but not good enough to die by. Because when you stand before God one day and you say, uh, see, I ask people this question. If you had to stand before God and, and if He were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would your answer be? What would your answer be? If you, if you died today and had to stand before God and He says, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? See, I've talked to a lot of people and it's some kind of religious thing. Is it oftentimes, most often, well, I've been baptized. Or I'm a Baptist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Catholic. Okay? But when you stand before God one day, that's not the answer to the question. The answer to the question is Jesus. <laughs> right? It's Jesus. In other words, it's not what I've done, but it's what Jesus did. That's what I'm trusting in today. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you're trusting in your religion today, forget about it. Junk that. Let go of that and hold on to the Savior who loved you and bled and died and rose again for you. Jesus stood and He's still standing today and He's crying out to you today. And if you will listen, if you will not tune Him out, He's crying to your heart today. And He's trying to speak to you today and He's saying, if you're thirsty, come to Me. And He knows you're thirsty. And He knows that He can satisfy. But here's the sad thing. People have been burned by religion. How many in here has been burned by religion at some point or another? Anybody willing to show their hands? Uh, That's a few that raised their hand, and I bet there's probably several more that could raise their hands right there. And uh, because there's a lot of messed up junk that goes on out there. And there's a lot of goofed up stuff, and and a lot of people have. So, God bless you, amen, because you're here today. Because you found something out. We're not here trying to observe some kind of religion. We're here to worship our Savior, amen. We're here to get a drink that He's offering to us today. We're here to celebrate today His blessings and His goodness in our lives. We have a relationship with Him. But then number two, here's the tough thing. How many people do we try to talk to about Jesus Christ? They say, oh, I've tried church. I've tried religion. The equivalent of that would be for Jesus standing there that day to say, 
If you believe on me, I will quench your thirst. I will give you water to drink. That would be somebody that said, oh, I took a drink of the water out there and, I'm, and it didn't work. But he said, I'm not trying to get you to take a drink of that water. I'm trying to get you to put your faith and trust in me. If you've tried religion, I'm sorry. I am. I'm sorry if you've tried religion. Uh, because religion doesn't work. But Jesus works. Amen? Jesus works. So Jesus said, come unto me. And you know, there was, uh, even all the way going back to the book of Hezekiah, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 46, where Hezekiah had made a, a conduit, a, 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 carved a conduit out of solid stone that fed into the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says, there's the river. The funny thing is, that water came from the pool of Shiloh. But the reference there is to the Holy Spirit of God that indwells those of us that are saved by the grace of God. Because it's not just some religious experience that we try to do on the outside. Jesus said, the water that I shall give him shall be in him. In our text, he said that living water is going to come out of us. By the way, can I add this right quick? If you're a child of God, this, this has to do with remembrance. One of the good things about remembering what God's done for us and what He's promised to do for us and getting our eyes off of the, off the, the small circumstances and maybe big circumstances, maybe, our, maybe what's going on in the world. One of the big benefits of getting our eyes off of that stuff is that it lets the waters flow through our lives to be a blessing to other people. Because when we get so focused on our own problems and so forth, if we're not careful, we get real selfish and we're not helping anybody else out anymore. That's a good reason to remember so I'll give you this real quick. In John 8, you see a response to the Lord Jesus Christ. You find out some religious people rejected Him in John 8, 13. Others were inquisitive enough to talk and ask Him about some more information in John 8, 25. But when you get down to John 8, 30, there were some people that believed. And I don't know what your response is going to be today, but let's all stand, please. And we'll be dismissed in just a moment. But the responses that Jesus had to His message and His miracles of John 7, 8, and 9 is that some people rejected Him still. Some people were curious and said, yeah, that's kind of cool. He seems interesting. I'll listen to Him a little bit. That, well, that's good. But I hope that every one of you will get to the place where the other crowd was. They believed on Him. They said, we believe He is who He said He was. The Lord offers a drink. You've got to take the drink. Amen? And I ask you today, do you, do you know today that you've accepted Him as your Savior? Have you believed on Him for salvation? If you haven't, then I invite you to do that today. Don't trust in religion. Don't trust in your good works. Trust in what Jesus accomplished when He died on the cross and rose again the third day. Child of God, hey, remember. Don't forget what God's done for you. Rejoice. Live a life of joy. The Bible says earlier there in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Are you weak today? Maybe you've lost the joy of the Lord. He wants us to be joyous people. You can begin to play, Danny, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here today, God. I thank you for the truths, God, that we learned. The truths we learned in this, this message, in this feast of tabernacles. God, and I pray that you'll take these truths and just convey them to the hearts of your people. Convey them to the hearts of those today that may not know you as Savior. 
There may be people just like in Jesus' day. They were observing the religious experience. But Jesus said, will you come to me? Do you really want to be satisfied way deep inside? Do you really want to be forgiven for your sin that separates from a holy God? Then just come to me. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anybody that needs to come to you today, I pray that you help them to do that right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. But I ask you today, what is your heart? Where do you stand today? You you say, well, I've tried religion. But have you accepted Christ? Have you let go of all that religious stuff and, and your works and all that you've done and just say, Jesus, I want to believe in what you did is enough for my salvation. If that's true, the Bible says that from your heart you can call on him. And He'll save you. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know the Lord today, and maybe God's speaking to your heart through the Word of God, would you say, Dear Lord Jesus, God, I admit to you today that I am a sinner separated from you. But Jesus, I believe that you died to pay the penalty for my sin and that you rose again the third day that I might be justified. Jesus, come into my heart and my life And be my Lord and my Savior. Let this be the day of my redemption. Let this be the day of my salvation. Let this be the day that I take a drink of the water. God, help those of us that are are your children. God, help us to remember what you've done. Help us to reflect on your goodness. Reflect on your promises. Remember where you brought us from. You're so good today, Lord. Thank you so much for our guests that are here today. God, I pray that you'll bless them. And uh, I pray that you'll bless each one as they depart, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you.